Just a quick heads up, this week's episode of Battle of the Atom contains some strong language. everyone and welcome to another exciting episode of battle of the atom this is normally the podcast where me and my co-host adam Reck will go through three x-men stories and rank them on our master list of best to worst x-men story ever but we haven't been doing that for the last month because we have been driving into interview city talking to a bunch of people behind the x-books that we know and love or may grow to love in the near future uh Tonight, Adam can't be with us. He had something very last minute come up, which is unfortunate. But we are powering on here, and we have some very special guests. So coming to us live from the internet, uh, you may know them from the book The Dregs or their new book that just came out today as we record this, Come Into Me. It is Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler. Guys, how you doing? Good, man. Very happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us, Zach. This is awesome. Yeah, no, it's great. I'm really excited for your guys' upcoming run on cable, which I didn't mention earlier. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're doing cable. That's why they're on an X-Men podcast, everyone. And you kind of picked up on that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. It all, like, it's kind of whirlwind experience. It comes out uh, next Wednesday as we record this, and we're uh, very excited, but also extremely nervous because x-men fans uh you know they can jump on things so we hope to do right by them they've been good to us so far <laughs> so wait you're telling me that x-men fans might have very strong opinionated uh feelings about this weird batch of characters yeah, yeah. <laughs> man that doesn't sound right i've never met anyone who will you know go crazy over shatterstar or anything like that but <laughs> Before we jump into the specifics of Cable and that entire mess that is just a nightmare to unravel, as I'm sure you guys have lived for the last little bit, uh, we wanted to know just a bit about you guys. So, Zach, Lonnie, what's your X-Men origin story? How would you come to the franchise or were you even fans of the franchise before you uh, jumped into this book? Uh, Zach, let's start with you also so people can know which one of you is which. <laughs> okay. Um so my X-Men origin story, I guess, comes from like early growing up in the early 90s um, with the X-Men cartoon um, was completely obsessed with that. But like when it comes to comics, my older brother was collecting Age of Apocalypse as that came out. And so I started reading just like random back issues of Uncanny X-Men and X-Men during that time and got particularly obsessed with all of the 90s characters that were being introduced Um including X-Man, which I know everyone um, or most people seem to not enjoy, but Lonnie and I are fucking crazy about X-Man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, yeah. Ugh. Being born not, in 90s X-Men comics makes you a fan of all the sillier things, like Cable. I mean, yeah, Cable's pretty silly, and yet somehow they found a way to amp him up in a totally different direction with X-Man, and I know that you guys have mentioned in other interviews and in solicits that, you know, Nate Gray will be making an appearance, which is... I don't know 
if fans have been clamoring for it, but it's very interesting. Yeah, they haven't been. I can tell you that much. We have been, though. We have been. No, it's, it's going to be... Well, you say that, but there was specifically a few weeks back a weird outcrying of a new X-Men series to try and come out that uh, Chris Anka actually did some uh, special art for trying yeah. to get that thing going. Yeah, we saw that. We were like, damn it, we want that book. That's our book. <laughs> <laughs> No, it'll be good. And Lonnie, how about yourself? How'd you uh, how'd you get into X Men things? Yeah, not dissimilar to Zach. Uh, growing up in the '90s, I was you know a cartoon kid, and watching the animated series was like a really big deal for me. I was obsessed with those with the show, and like I would wish that I was going to be like a, a latent mutant and like be adopted by the Xavier School and like run around my house pretending to be X Men characters. Mm -hmm. I never read anything like sequentially when I was a kid I didn't understand comics so I would go to the corner store and I would just pick up different X-Men books or Spider-Man books all the time and read them and not really know what was going on but yeah mine was a lot of Age of Apocalypse stuff and then the first kind of series I I read were in in order was uh, the Generation X stuff from the 90s awesome that's a that's a favorite of ours around here it's it holds up better than you'd think it would there's some elements that definitely don't but it's a it's a fun little fun little series yeah i haven't gone back since to read it but i'd be curious to 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 see it now uh the chris bachelor art is still really really good change the changing man yeah dudes (laughs) like I've said it before on this show, and I'm sure people who listen to this are tired of hearing. Chris Bachelor is my favorite artist in the history of artists, and I think he's incredible. And if he will ever, you know, respond to his public email, you know, he's more than welcome to be on this show. But... <laughs> soft plug, soft, yeah, soft plug. I'm sure, I'm sure Chris is, you know, just on his phone right now, saying, "Well, shoot, I gotta get, gotta get a hold of these guys," but. No, that's good. So now you guys are doing cable. And this is this is coming off of a fairly interesting turn of events for cable as a book. So far it's had two five issue arcs by completely different creative teams. And now it's jumping into uh, your guys's. So I guess what what makes your arc a bit different than the time traveling stuff that was being done by James Robinson? And the uh, weird '90s external stuff that was being done by uh, Ed Brisson. Well, I think it's just better. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, just playing. I actually quite enjoyed Robinson's run, and, and Ed's a good good friend of ours. Uh, so we, we like to make fun of him. <laughs> um, yeah, ours is a very different take on the character. I mean, Ed's someone who's you know he's been at Marvel for a while, and he gets all the continuity. He has a you know he has a real passion for it. Where I think. Zach and I are more looking to bring characters somewhere new. As much as we have an affinity for for X-Men and grew up with them, we want to see people doing new things with these characters. So we're trying to explore Cable in a different way where it doesn't rely so much on his time travel or, you know, his usual, like, 90s uh, insanity and do a more grounded story where we learn more about him and how he grew up and things that he's carried with him for uh, the entirety of his life. And I think one of the biggest things that defines our run is uh, Cable's relationships with other people. What we've tried to do in every issue is highlight a particular relationship that Cable's formed over his long publishing history and kind of dive into how Cable treats these people like family. 
which is kind of at the heart of the antagonist and, and the conflict in our arc. Um, we, cause when we kind of picked up the book, Cable was a lot of, he was a loner, even in that like team with Ed's run, it was still kind of like, he was a mysterious guy. It was keep playing things pretty close to his chest. And we wanted to kind of change that and show that like over the course of Cable's long publishing history, he's kind of had a lot of people look up to him, including the X-Force and including X-Man, including Hope. Um, and so like really showing those relationships and showing that, Part of the reason Cable is a loner is to protect these people. Yeah, we're trying to take some of the goofiness out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah I think hard, so. As hard as it is, we're trying. <laughs> right, right. Well, that that's what's interesting to me because, like, I never got Cable until I read the post-Messiah uh, Complex Daddy Cable run. Yeah. yeah. When, you know, he's jumping through the future. And that's when the character finally clicked with me like i got it and i absolutely loved it so when your guys's book was first announced and some of the initial press stuff was talking about a return to that kind of you know analysis of the character and not just you know 90s extreme kind of guy with giant guns as fun as that can be it's i think it's a very interesting take and it's something i'm excited about. yeah exactly i mean cable's been a mercenary he's been a team leader he's been a father He's been a brother um, and, you know, there's this bevy of things that he's been across his life and the time cop thing has sort of been played out a bit. So we're, you know, we're trying to bring it back to that kind of stuff. And uh, Zach and I are big fans of the stuff Suzinski and Olivetti were doing uh, for the Messiah War stuff. And one of our issues actually takes place during that time period. So it's, it's a real treat for us to go back there and be able to play in the world that was really influential on our story. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically five love letters to different cable arcs. Um, that all seamlessly come together in the last pages of the last issue. Hopefully seamlessly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's that's exciting. Now, one of the things you guys had talked about uh, in this very interview was going back to Cable's childhood and the times in uh, the Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix miniseries <laughs> that had Gene and Scott spending a very long honeymoon raising a kid, which... <laughs> As a parent, that sounds like a miserable <laughs> honeymoon, but yeah, I mean, like we we, we looked at that as really untapped um, ground in terms of Cable's story, and and it was really interesting to us because we were just like, how is this the only story that exists that really deals with this period in his life? And so we really wanted to kind of dive into that, and um, that sort of like child cable is kind of at the heart of what this arc is i mean i mean it's the first couple pages of the first issue are they take place in that time period and um it's something that we're going to return to over the course of the arc uh, because we think it's really interesting to show cable as a young child who's basically been on, on a mega level mutant since he could walk and and having to deal with that power and also having to deal with the techno-organic virus yeah, I, I think that's a that's a very it's an untapped period of cable because we get this, you know, we get the gruff mercenary cable that, you know, was all over in the 90s. And then you get him as, you know, the just the character in stream with continuity. But that early era of him, that's that's interesting. It's I think it's weird to see a character that, you know, people define as old, grizzled, tough guy and try and take them to be a child and then a realistic like portrayal of that it's a lot of times i think it's 
a very fine line to make sure that this badass that you know from the future wasn't this miserable kid that you hate. It's the uh, like the Star Wars prequel yeah. problem <laughs> where a lot of people are like, oh, it's Darth Vader. He's amazing. And then you have this little pod racing yippee Anakin kid. And while there's definitely a lot of memories about those movies, I'm not sure that transition was particularly well handled. So, no, I'm, I'm excited to see what you guys do with Cable in that similar vein. Yeah, I think part of the reason that Cable's childhood has been sort of untapped is just that, that, you know, his whole childhood and how he came to be and how he was brought back to the present is just a nightmare of continuity and it's a nightmare of clones and different timelines. And like when we first started diving in, I was terrified because I was like, there's no way anyone's going to understand any of this, but we found a way to do it where like, you don't have to understand. You don't have to have read all of it. All you need to know is that, this is Cable when he's an adult, and this is Cable when he's a kid, and he was living in a different world. And we're trying to sidestep a lot of that so people who haven't read, you know, the last 30 years of the character can understand it as well. Yeah. Awesome. Now, one of the things that is always fascinating is when you get writing duos because, frankly, I have no idea how that even works. So, I mean – how did you guys start writing together, and then how do you balance, you know, writing as a team on something like this? I mean, uh, you'd be surprised how often we a- answer this question. But it, it, we we met in uh, five years ago at Emerald City Comic Con, um, coming across the border on a bus, um, and Lonnie was like holding a sketch of uh, Jeff Lemire's Dead Man. I think. Yeah, he did a Dead Man sketch for me. And I had just been talking to my girlfriend at the time about Sweet Tooth and I saw it and we started a conversation and we realized that we were both attending the same film school and the same program, um, but had never ran into each other at school. Um, and so that kind of came to talking about our influences and, and the thing, the stories that we wanted to tell. And we just started uh, collaborating on uh, books that, uh, you know, like the the book that came out today, Come Into Me, was the first thing that we started working on together. That was about four years ago. Um, and to answer your question about co-writing, we literally sit in the same room with the same Google Doc open on both of our computers and slowly type out lines while the other one erases it and says, that's no good. And uh, it's just like a constant vetting process. Yeah, it's sort of like we often... A big thing when you're writing, especially comics, is like figuring out how a scene works and the mechanics of a scene. And a lot of the way Zach and I co-write is we talk about what needs to happen in the scene and what's an interesting way that we can convey that information. And we just throw ideas back and forth and say, maybe it should be this many panels or this many, or maybe the page layout can look something like this. And then as soon as we, you know, get to an idea that I think we both are in love with, it's sort of instantaneous. We know that we like it. We know that it's the right thing which is a lot easier sometimes than writing on your own because when you're on your own, it's like, is this the right idea? And like, you're constantly self-doubting. Um, but when there's someone else there to like to be affirming or to shoot you down, it's a lot easier to know when you can move on and when you can't. It's, I, I mean, I know there's so many like duos or writing teams that do all this stuff together, but it's always interesting to me because I think people think of comics as – a you know one person's vision going through and even even though that comics are a visual medium and normally that means a team of people taking you know words and combining them with 
pictures and then adding dialogue back and doing all this stuff where it, it is a group effort. I think it's hard for people to make that connection of, hey, sometimes, you know, it's not just one genius who is making everything happen. I mean, not everyone's yeah. Jack Kirby. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless you're talking about like cartoonists, but like in the world of comics that we're functioning in, it's very rare that there's one person who's really controlling things. Um, and I think, you know, part of the success that Zach and I have had this far in our careers is that we've been very fortunate in the in the artists and colorists that we've been paired up with. Um, you know, we've chosen some of them very strategically, but other ones have fallen into our lap. And uh, I think we've been, like I said, very fortunate to be working with the ones we're working with. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about your artist on cable. You got Jermaine Peralta doing doing the art for these books. I think he solicited for all the correct. issues that yeah. are out right now. His name is actually pronounced Herman, which nobody knows except for us and our editor Darren. <laughs> yeah, everyone always says he's a he's a Spanish guy. I, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't have gone there. Yeah. So Herman Peralta. That's now now. When when you're working with him, you've got you know you guys are obviously telling a very specific style of story with Cable, where you know a hyper extreme, uh, like a Rob Liefeld or a uh, Greg Capullo kind of '90s X Forcey Cable may not be the best choice. So do you guys give him guidelines on you know what you want to want this Cable to be like, look like, feel like, or have you left a lot of that up to him to say, hey? Do what you feel. Well, one of the interesting the things about our run is that because it does take place inside other people's runs, um, there's a specific look and feel for all of those eras, right? So, you know, the first issue takes place in the modern era. So Cable looks a little bit like Josh Brolin. Um, <laughs> because, and like, you know, that didn't come from us, but we just got the first pages and we're like, oh, he's josh brolin now okay still wearing the same outfit he was wearing in brisson's run and robinson's run but he's got the high fade that he didn't have before um and then you know the next era that we're dealing with is the swazinski olivetti era so he looks a little bit different his, his uniform is different and the look and feel of that is different and and what we've tried to do with every one of our issues is because it's set in a specific timeline um, we bring specific influences to the table. So we used uh, the road for our second issue, um, just you know, shooting everything in, in lots of wides and, and trying as much as we can to convey the big open atmosphere. And um, Herman's been really incredible work with him that way. He, he really We write him a letter at the beginning of every one of our scripts that kind of just tells him where our intent lies. And uh, he takes that and everything that we've given him, he's absolutely dunked every time. Yeah. It's insane. He, he's honestly a dream come true to work with. Yeah, it's, working at Marvel, like our, our regular scripts for creator-owned stuff, they're, they're quite long and dense, and we like to control as much of the art as possible, or at least try to. And then artists, you know, they, they deviate and stuff, and that's totally cool. We love when they do that. But at Marvel, you know, we're, we're a bit more restricted in how much we're able to put on the page and at first we were really worried about it but seeing the art that herman's been giving back to us it's like it's very clear that we don't need to be worried and he's a master storyteller in his own right everything you're describing about this makes this feel like a book that i want to read oh yeah which is which is good because like cable's not a character that i'm going to pick up every solo of it's just i'm not gonna he's, he's not one of my top guys but yeah <laughs> Now, one thing you did mention in there is uh, the upcoming feature film, 
where Cable is bizarrely going to be involved. <laughs> so what is is there any pressure from your guys' standpoint knowing, okay, so this cape this guy is gonna have more publicity than he's ever had in his history, and we are now writing him. Has that hit your mind? Is that something that you guys have grappled with or I mean we don't really think about it it was surreal in the moment where we like signed the contract to do the book and we were just like oh shit like this character is going to be really popular hopefully we don't fuck it up <laughs> but like in, in terms of uh like characterizing him or or changing um his character whatsoever to kind of like be more open or accessible to people we didn't do that in the slightest i think we've just tried our very best to find what it was about cable that we loved and to accentuate that. And so if anything, it's almost a love letter to all of the different cables that have existed over the cro- over the history of the character. And so anyone who goes to see the movie, they might not find the exact same cable that they saw on, on the screen, but they'll find a different one or one of five different ones that they might love. Yeah. And we never really had any pressure from Marvel to be like, you know, this character is going to be big. You got to make sure that you, you know, you're writing him like this or include this kind of stuff. It was very, very minor. Like, you know, he's going to be a big character. So, you know, just make sure we're not doing anything too outside of what the realm of Cable is and we'll be good. But there, there, there hasn't been too heavy a guiding hand in that sense. I mean, the biggest suggestion we got was like, maybe put Deadpool an issue if you want. And that, and they left it completely up to us. That's a... Uh... That, that's cool to hear. I'm like, I'm pumped to see this love letter to Cable. That's that's great because he's a character that there's a lot to love and there's a lot to uh, question about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, now speaking speaking of characters that are, let's say, mixed in general, you guys have been very vocal about X Men uh, being in this and coming back at least for an issue. How do you even start to like cables? One thing, how do you even start to figure out X-Man who's cable, but more complicated? Like the thing for me with X-Man is that I love him because when I was young, I was, you know, probably like eight or nine years old. I bought an action figure of X-Man because I thought it was Cyclops from a different era. Cause he had like the same color scheme. <laughs> That's amazing. And I didn't, no, until I bought, I think my brother bought like the X-Men number one comic, like back issue. And I realized it was a different character, but I had already loved him because I loved the toy. So like, it didn't matter what the contents of the book were. I just knew that I was going to love it. And I haven't changed my mind since then. I think to answer your question about how we're going to use him and, and how we wrapped our heads around him, like X-Men is inherently complicated, but you'll see that the issue that we're using him in, we've kind of put him and Cable in a little bit of a, like a bottle situation. So they're trapped somewhere with a particular problem. um, And neither one of them have the ability to solve it with their powers. And so it's been a really interesting character driven issue where we're kind of like looking at like the nature of, of brotherhood and, and the nature of like when you exist in a universe where there can be infinite copies of you, what does that mean? And can you trust these other copies of yourself um, in the, in the most vague terms? Cause I don't know how much we're <laughs> allowed to give away, but it's, it's a really character driven 
issue. It's probably my favorite of, of the five just because we got to do some really crazy shit. <laughs> well, I think that brings up an interesting thing about cable that not even counting alternate reality stuff and not even counting, you know, the infinite multiverse, whatever. There's like five different versions of Cable just hanging out in the regular Marvel universe. There's like him, X-Man, Rachel, Strife. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all. <laughs> yeah. And we've tried and we've actually like <clears throat> made efforts to like, you know, there's a the only thing that we deal with Strife in is like we have like Young Hope and Cable uh, talking about Strife and like Cable trying to explain to an eight-year-old how Strife exists. And that's like the only conclusion <laughs> in, in our arc. And, and it's so much fun because we kind of got to make fun of how stupid it is because an eight-year-old would never understand that. Um, and so we've been having some fun with those sorts of things about the character that, and like there's been a completely, like they've let us have free reign on that sort of thing, which is really interesting because he is inherently complicated and with all these different versions of him running around, it's very easy to kind of lose your head. And uh, we've tried to keep it as grounded as humanly possible. I don't know how in the world you ground cable, but I'm immensely entertained by the thought of it. That's <laughs> as grounded as we can make it. I yeah. As grounded as cable can make it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's great. Uh, one of the things from what you were just saying there is hope who is a character that, because of the Daddy Cable run, I feel a lot of affection for. So do you, are you, beyond just, you know, flashbacky stuff, is Hope a figure in your character or is it something, or figure in your story or is she just there for, you know, the moments that she was there for? She's She plays a, a pretty big role in the first issue. Um, and then she comes back. She's in the second issue, but she's young. And then she comes back in the final issue to tie things together again. Um, But she was pretty central to the way that things work throughout the arc. And yeah, Zach and I feel a pretty big affinity for her as well. And we're doing some things with her character that I'm going to be very curious to see how people respond to. Zach and I love it and we can't believe we got away with it. (laughs) But um, yeah, there's uh, she's a lot more like her dad than people think. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> huh? Because well, it, it's odd to me because I I feel like a lot of people in Marvel as a whole haven't known exactly what to do with Hope because she was the Messiah and then she fixed things and then what do you do? After the one thing you were, you know, made to do happens, how do you keep going on? I know they've put her in X Force, and she was flying around in a drone for a little bit. And I, yeah, I'm very dang it. I'm going to be honest. This was not a book that I was like super stoked for, and now I am very, very on board with this in the course of this conversation. Yeah, yeah Hope's sort of a character we fell in love with, and you know, her page time in is like it's it's limited she's there she plays a big role in the first issue but we like we really have fallen in love with her and we would love the chance to continue writing her to sort of explore these ideas you're talking about like you know who has she become uh over this this the course of this period you know after she's fulfilled her destiny or whatever right it's 
she's a very she's in a very interesting place and we'd love to to be able to explore that more so and fingers crossed we were also just like blown away that no one there didn't seem to be like a genuine human moment between cable and hope after that swazinski run finished like they kind of always were just in passing with one another and so we made a, a real effort to to take the first issue and explore their relationship and explore where they are with one another and, and what that means uh, or what they mean to each other in their lives currently, because there, there is a lot of similarities with the way hope has been developed recently, like in, in the most recent issues of like Jean Grey as like a loner. And then she kind of dresses like cable a little bit. And so, I mean, in an ideal dream scenario, I would love to write a hope book where she's, doing cable-y things. Cable and hope. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is great. Now, we're going to jump into Twitter questions in just a second. But before that, I did want to touch on another one of your guys' projects that has just come out you know, last week as you guys are listening to this. But today as we're recording it, come into me off of uh, Black Mask uh, Publishing, which is a very – bold like first issue <laughs> yeah yeah that, we've, been, we've been hearing that all day <laughs> like here's the thing uh for people who don't know it's a story about people sharing bodies or living in someone else's body in a very interesting body horror kind of uneasiness to everything about it and it is in utterly fascinating debut that is i don't know, i think it's i think it's very interesting so you guys had actually mentioned that this was one of the this was the first thing you guys developed together so you know what was the path to getting this to be a comic book that you can buy on comiXology for 3.99 at this very moment well i mean as you saw from reading it or for listeners you might see it's not the easiest book for a publisher to say, yes, we want that as part of our publishing slate. Um, and so convincing publishers to look at it and then trying to convince them to publish it was very difficult uh, because we hadn't published anything at the time. And a lot of them were just like, guys, I think this is too weird. This will never work. Like, please don't do this. We had people tell us, like, you got to change the title or people would be like, you know, you're going to get like slaughtered by the comics community. But at the end of the day, it was a story that Zach and I believed in. And after we did the dregs, we um, were talking to our publisher at Black Mask. And he was like, what do you guys want to do next? And we were like, we want to do this crazy book about people sharing bodies. And he was like, okay, cool. Let's do it. Yeah, he was just he was like, it sounds risky, but if you guys believe in it, then I'll let you do it. And it was just that simple. For people who aren't paying attention to Black Mask, they have been putting out some of the best stuff in the last – little bit like uh for x-men fans you know matthew rosenberg who put out two amazing series through that publisher four kids walk into a bank and uh we can never go home that are just fantastic and like people need to check these guys out it's ridiculous how much good stuff between that black the dregs and come into me at this point yeah, we're just, we're happy to be, you know, we're happy to have a place where we can tell the stories we want to tell and it's, there's very limited filter there and that's something they bring across their whole publishing slate. Um, everyone who works there is telling stories that I don't think they'd be able to tell anywhere else. 
and yeah. we feel very lucky to be working there and come into me is an extremely weird risky sexual philosophical book and uh yeah no no other publishers were willing to take a risk on it and i think that speaks to black masks you know what it speaks to what they're willing to do to have quality comics in their lineup now did writing this around the same you know going into production with this at the same time as cable did did you feel any of the influences of that flow into uh you know your big two work or there's a lot of body horror in cable i'm not gonna <laughs> lie to you it it we snuck it in as best as we could but it's like <clears throat> there's some really the last page of our first issue is absolutely insane and every time i've shown it to people they're like holy fuck guys what are you doing <laughs> It's like it, there doesn't. It's so insane that there doesn't seem to be a good like. There's like there's no way we can get out of it. But we found a good one. Yeah, I mean, like the the techno organic virus is something that's people have played with it in very interesting ways over the course of Cable's career, and very few people have treated it as something uh, horrific. And you know, obviously, we're influenced by that style of horror, and we're trying to find a way to to, to use the virus in a new way. Um, and so, yeah, there's some. There's definitely some. Uh, a lot of horror built into our and, and memory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Dang it. Dang it. I didn't want to like this book. I'm going to be very honest. I wanted to save money. I really did. I hope, I hope everyone listening to this has been as one over in the last 33 minutes as I have, because wow. <laughs> But, you know, those people have sent in some questions on Twitter that they awesome. would love you guys to jump into. So we're going to get into that side of it. Let's do it. All right. So friend of the show at Genetic Ghost on Twitter asks, if Cable was picking a new X-Force team, who would you choose to be on it with him? Okay. Um, I would pick Phantom X. Um, X Man. <laughs> um, you know, you're gonna hate me for this, but probably Shatterstar. Oh no, man! Yeah, hey, hey, I don't, I don't hate Shatterstar. I do not I want do. anyone. To, okay, that's fair. <laughs> um, Deadpool and um, probably like Archangel or maybe Banshee and. If I could stack the team, then Beast. And that'd be oh, it for me, I think. Big team. Yeah. That's a lineup and a half. Yeah. I, I just I yeah, I love those characters. I, we I would I would murder someone to write a new X Force book. I'll just put that on the table. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, sure. I don't know. I don't, I don't, Mine would be that, like, mine wouldn't be that dissimilar from yours. I would probably get rid of Shatterstar. But <laughs> otherwise, I'd probably, yeah, I'd love to, to write Angel at some point. That would be really cool. Phantom X is, like, one of my favorites. I think it's just because it's a Morrison. I'd, I'd love to bring back Warlock. Yeah, Warlock would be yep. fun. Yep, he, he he's he's our boy. I, I do love me some good Warlock. But yeah, I will tell you the question asker on Twitter has Shatterstar in their icon picture, so they're going to be very happy with one of Yikes. you, and mm -hmm, less happy. <laughs> All right. Uh, at strictly worse on Twitter asks, 
is there a gun so big even cable can't fire it? <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> he could literally uh, like if you ever uh, played the video games like Metal Gear, he could literally rip off the nuclear launch device from the back of Metal Gear Rex and fire it himself because he's that much of a man. <laughs> we actually yeah, really don't like that aspect of the character and we've tried our best to kind of like make his guns smaller and more realistic. They still are big, but they're not as... Hopefully not as obnoxious. Yeah. I mean, I think that's... I think with a character like Cable, you can either really lean into it and just you know wink and say i know what i'm doing just accept that this is an insane weapon or you have to go grounded i know uh back when they were trying to figure out what to do with him at the end of the 90s they Mm -hmm. stripped away a lot of that stuff and just made him a gorilla soldier yeah the the soldier x stuff Mm -hmm. uh igor cordy and i forget who was writing that but yeah at Super Curry Max on Twitter asks, can we finally get a story with closure on how Cable was connected to the externals? Which the externals are a big thing that Brisson was just dealing with in his run. Um, the externals do not factor into our arc whatsoever. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank yeah, you so much. I, I, I thought Briston did, did well with it, but I, reading it, I was like, oh my god, thank god, I do not have to write external stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's 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 interesting. Uh, then the last, I think the last Twitter question we had is uh, from Mistake Theory on Twitter, who asks, if any elements from the dregs will be brought over into this run of Cable? Um, I mean, sort of, yeah, like as much as we're the ones writing it. So we'll, we'll be channeling some of our weirdness and, and trying to, we always try to make things a little surreal and in, in the things that we do. And we try to, um, make our protagonists a little less reliable and the story itself is told in a kind of unreliable way. And that, um, for those who are not acquainted with how we've been uh, pitching this it's kind of like a memento take on cable um the lat like what happens last is actually what you read first and then you go back in time and see what led to that point hmm. yeah, yeah so we're trying to experiment with the narrative and stuff like that and there's some issues that have some more surreal aspects like we did in the dregs um and we tried actually to do a detective story with cable that uh, they didn't like that picture, in uh, but we liked it. So it's very dark. That was more dragsy than than this is. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, the comics that could have been or will never be. That is that is interesting. I think that does it for our Twitter segment of this show, and I think that gets us to about wrapping this up. But before uh, before we get into the end game of this. You know, if you guys had to say, you know, one thing to pitch this book to someone, what would you what would you pitch it? Why should someone go out and this Wednesday pick Cable 155 off of the shelves? I think whether or not you've read the character before, we're doing something that's not only new for the character, but new in the X-Men universe in that we're looking at someone who is super powerful mutant uh, and really grounding them and looking at their relationships and what makes them who they are other than their powers 
Um, and it's, you know, we're mixing a lot of influences in there. So whether or not you're looking for a mystery or a family drama or a horror story, I think there's something in there for, for everyone. And there's going to be a lot of stuff that people aren't expecting with, uh, with Cable and the people he's come across over the course of his life. And we've created a new villain, which is entirely of our own creation that works on our own rules that we couldn't be more pleased with. Um, that was a big thing for us going into the arc was deciding that if we were going to do this, that we were going to create a new character in the X-Men universe. And we had full free reign to do it. And so it works in its own rules. And it's probably, we've written a lot of horror, and this is probably the scariest thing we've ever created. Yeah. <laughs> That's, okay. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I, dang it. <laughs> Seriously, you guys are, you guys are freaking costing me like 20 bucks now. <laughs> no, but it, it's good. And I hope everyone else goes out and picks up this book next week. I know I am now, way like this this is shot up to the top of my list so i am pumped and everyone else should be too uh so as we uh wrap up just want to remind our audience that everything that is done with battle of the atom and the xavier files media empire happens thanks to you guys thanks to the lovely supporters on patreon uh once we get back to our regular schedule of episodes which is next week we will be coming back to our patreon suggested episodes so we've got a really fun one talking about the ecstatics uh that's going to be a bunch of fun and all those come specifically from those guys who pitch in like two bucks a month on patreon and get a whole episode crafted around them uh, if you want to join the ranks go to patreon.com slash xavier files and you know pitch in if you can't i get it there's a lot of podcasts out there. There's a lot of things that you can spend your money on. I don't pay for everything. Like the internet has so much stuff that's out there for free. Do you know how many podcasts you can get just by saying download on my phone? You can't support all of it. I get it. But if you like the show, maybe leave a note on uh, iTunes, hit a review, or just you know tell some of your X-Men fan friends that, hey, you guys should check this out. Uh, beyond that, you can follow me on Twitter at Xavier Files or at XavierFiles.com, which is where these episodes are hosted, where we have weekly articles about different X-Men characters, the latest and greatest in X-Men news, and other stuff like that. Also special as of this week, the Xavier Files zine is up for pre-order. This is a 100% unauthorized fanzine about a bunch of X-Men stuff. We have a just ridiculous ridiculous lineup of artists and writers and cartoonists that have just all pitched in to put something together that is incredibly cool the link's going to be in the uh, episode notes for this so just scroll on over to that you can get a digital copy of it for all of zero dollars it's free it's pay what you want do not feel ashamed about just dropping dropping that zero in there and getting it because we just want to share this. There is a cost to the physical copy, and that straight up covers printing and mailing it to you. So uh, go ahead, check that out. The pre-orders are going to go until March 27th, and then it will still be available for purchase after that. So as we wrap all this stuff up, Zach and Lonnie, where can people find you online? I am on Twitter at Zach B.E. Thompson. And I'm on Twitter at lawn underscore monster. 
That is awesome. Once again, Zach Lonnie, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure to listen to you guys sell me on cable. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. Thank yeah. you for having us. Thanks so much for having us, Zach. This was a blast. Nah. Yeah, it, it's great. Thank you. Thank you again. Uh, for everyone else, next week, like I said, we will be back with an ecstatics filled episode that I am so excited to uh, talk about. There's also a story on there that involves the main characters being NPR reporters. So stick around for that. Uh, Adam will be back with us. But till next time, this has been Battle of the Atom. We hope you survived the experience. <laughs>